Support for the show comes from Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and more. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes, buy all the stocks in a theme as is, or customize to better fit your investing goals, all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. All right, let's talk about the big story, COVID-19, which really does touch on everything, yeah. including tech and business, which we cover on Friday, um, Trump gathered CEOs from Walmart, CVS, Target, among others, to talk about uh, how they would be working with the government to open up parking lots and supply chains to help mitigate the spread of COVID-19. Walmart, Target, CVS, and Walgreens are going to all give up parking lot space for drive-through testing once it gets in place, which it is not. Um, Trump did overpromise on this because it's not in place yet. Then he announced that Google is developing a national website to tri- triage COVID-19 cases. This turned out not to be true, uh, which was really appalling. Another alphabet company, Verily, was working on a website uh, for the Bay Area, specifically in a very early stages of development and was planning to roll out testing in the Bay Area with hopes of expanding more broadly over time. Google kind of saved Trump here, who overspoke and said there were 1,700 uh, engineers working on it. It was almost ready and it was not like websites of the past. I'm not sure what he was talking about, but Google did announce by the end of the week and they would work government and try to roll out this website. It's partnering with this website, but the stuff they've got up is pretty bare bones. Um, and they're um, they're putting, you know, they're doing a lot of other stuff, uh, Google is, and, and a very important site to be doing that because of the search mechanisms there and the capabilities, the engineers to really create good systems, to get people good information. But Scott, uh, what do you think about this public-private approach and, and what's been happening? Well, the private sector, I think, is is filling a void. Uh, I think the private sector is 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 coming to the realization that to think that the federal government is going to. So I think of triggers, and that is what triggers uh, a market decline, what triggers a panic, and one of the things. So on Friday, everybody says, or over the weekend, that the rate cut triggered this plunge in the markets. I would argue it was the Friday uh, press release and a series of press releases. When the president comes out, says we're doing a beautiful job, says two or three things that are not accurate, and then the president starts to congratulate the, the I'm sorry, the vice president then goes on to congratulate the president for the next 15 minutes. And then it feels like other than Dr. Fauci, the B team or the C team, they got a call to the major leagues from their their junior varsity team from high school is asked to come up and speak. And I think that has created such a pattern of, I don't want to call it distrust, but a lack of faith in the federal response, that the markets are absolutely panicking. And I don't think it was a Fed cut. I think it's the fact that the markets have come to the realization that the federal government here is a mix of incompetent and disingenuous. And these speeches, you know, as you know, I, I think uh, I, I'm a big fan of war history. If you just listen to the speech, uh, all the press conferences that the president has given over the past week, it's as if it's V-Day as opposed to D-Day. It's mm-hmm. not talking about logistics. It's not a sober analysis. It's not getting people ready for the fight. It's a bunch of congratulations as if they've won the war. Yeah, it's and weird. So it's, con- it's, being, it's like 10 minutes of the beginning of every show. It's yeah, congratulating. The decisive leadership and the good people behind me. And 
and a bunch of a bunch of kind of the tests are coming. I think even quite frankly, I hate to say this, I think Dr. Fauci is losing credibility because he's been talking about a surge in testing, which doesn't seem to show up. And I do think governors are stepping up to the plate. We're getting drive-through testing in Colorado. It sounds like it's happening in New Rochelle. I do think we have incredible leadership in this country. Unfortunately, it just hasn't bubbled up uh, to the to the top. And then the trigger for me, everybody has their own triggers where they kind of just, they, they ignore it or they put on a good face. The trigger for me, the thing that really freaked me out, Kara, was when Google came out and said, the statement regarding the website we're supposedly building is just not true. So I thought, yeah. what else? What else is, are, are they lying about? Right, but is then the of course Google walked it about? back. That was weird. I've been trying to get them on the phone on this, and I think what they don't want to do, very similar to what Tim Cook did with Trump, is they just yeah. let it go and sort of saved his ass in terms of talking about well, we are going to be working with it, and you know, people inside Google that I talked to were horrified and did not know. You know, it was one of these things where that Jared, that imbecile son-in-law of his, um, got on the phone with someone at Verily and said, oh, this this would be a good idea. They must have stuck it in Trump's notes. And then he made something up that it was like ready to go. And, you know, it's not that it's a bad idea. It's not that it's something that shouldn't happen. It's that it's just like with the um, with the airports this week, this week, where they announce something and don't even get ready for what happens once you announce something. It's like just a lot of announcements and then patting yourselves on the back for closing borders and then not doing what it takes to make closing borders uh, organized. So there was like Petri dishes at all the major um, airports this weekend. That was horrifying. Those images. It's literally it's just, like, how could we be this stupid? How well, could we're not. We be it's this, this president stupid. who just refuses to prepare. Like, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I've seen this country do things in an organized fashion in other times. So it has to be that everyone is just wait, just worried again about his reaction. Which I'm like, why doesn't he go off TV for three to six weeks, and then we'll probably be okay if he just stops talking for a second. Um, but I mean, and then, of course, the impact on the economy. But, you know, it's most people don't want to talk about this because of these medical issues that we have to focus on first. But again, the market's closing, very, opening very noisily today again after it went up a little bit after Trump's speech. Yeah, volatility is back. The market's plunged. I mean, we record this on Monday, so we don't know. But the other thing, the other observation I have is I just can't. It feels as if the level of the mood or the panic is on the same slope of trajectory as the virus. And that is, uh, you know, on Wednesday, so my office is in New York. On Wednesday, I came in and said, we need to distance just here. And that is, my entire office is young, so mm-hmm. I don't think it's quite a, uh, uh, their health is not as big a risk. I don't want to say it's not serious, but a 24-year-old has a different level of risk threat than a 74-year-old. But we said, mm-hmm. all right, let's distance. By Thursday, we had closed the office. By, I'm sorry, by when, uh, yeah, by Thursday morning, we decided to close the office. By Thursday afternoon, I had decided to go to Florida and pull my kids and my wife out of my in-law's office where we're staying because we're renovating our house because I thought the last thing we need is a bunch of asymptomatic carriers going back and forth into mm-hmm. a seven-year-old couple's house. And by, I mean, it's just the 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 level of threat, the perception, the panic seems to be, or a panic or your, your concern about this. It's just incredible. If I look back 48 hours, if I look back seven days, if I look right. back 40, uh, 14 days, it feels as if the level of threat level, the perceived or real threat level, is following the same trajectory uh, as the virus and that it is increasing 
uh, exponentially. It's just, it's just crazy. You're well, still in New York. I, I right, left yeah. New York. How, yeah, how is the mood there right now? Uh, well, you know, everybody was out in the park yesterday. There was some Twitter stuff. It's interesting. interesting. Twitter is a really good way to get a lot of information in this. And I have to say, this is as, as much as there's a lot of idiotic information, there's a lot of great information on Twitter from Agreed. people. And also it makes you feel better because it feels like you're in it with a lot of people, you know, in some weird yeah. way. Um, I think the mood is better, too. I think people are being nicer to each other. Yeah, 100%. Except for, like, the woman who's like, you know, I've gone to a Red Robin and I'm coughing on everybody. That woman who is literally (sighs) the most despicable human being, except for Devin Nunes and then the guy who saves Uh, hand sanitizer. But, you know, it's like a that should be our new esports, the most despicable people on Earth. Um, But... uh, but it's interesting that 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 everybody was out, and there was some there was someone who posted people in in uh, the park in Prospect Park, and uh, and you know people were not the photos people were separating from each other, but they were all outside. There were a lot of people. It was a beautiful day, and the question is, you go outside at all? Like if you weren't getting near each other, you know, people felt they were making that small risk was okay. Um, but I have to tell you, the restaurants were full. Um, and now, of course, uh, yeah. uh, Mayor de Blasio has put down the finally put down the hammer on that. Um, and they will be closed except for takeout. And I assume he's going to close gyms and everything else. But um, it, but it's it was people were just walking around like life was fine. I mean, I think everyone was aware of it and you could hear snatches of conversation, but it was pretty full. And today um, I actually did leave the house uh, to do this. But um, but I. Uh, there's fewer people. There's nobody in the subways. You know, people are being very careful about touching things and keeping a distance from each other, which I think you can't. It's interesting to question of whether we go to a complete mandatory quarantine like they have in Italy or we um, do something that's a little looser here in this country. Um, I suspect we're going to get to the to the to the latter at some point in the next week or two. Yeah, but you had talked about the impact on business and you're going to see a ton of businesses will do the right thing, which is close their stores, especially in retail, will send their people home, but they just mm-hmm. won't survive it. And they, yeah. but the thing is, what the, the thing to know is they won't survive it from a legal standpoint. That entity will go under, but those assets and those people and those concepts will survive. Even if Carnival Cruises goes out of business, it's not as if the ships are going to sink to the bottom of the ocean and those people are never going to have jobs again. It's just that the bondholders will take control of the assets, the equity gets wiped out. And quite frankly, the majority of the people who own equity, there's a lot of people who own it through funds, but the majority of people who own stocks in this country are wealthy. I, I, and then the business will reemerge. So companies I do, I, are doing the right thing. What you're going to have, though, is there's, there's just no doubt about it. You're going to have a lot of bankruptcy across services companies, across yeah. retailers. Some can afford this. And you know that this is Darwinian and it's harsh. But when we get through this, a lot of businesses will come out the other end, the, the ones that survive. When there's a culling of the herd and then the rains return, there's there's less foliage to compete over and fewer animals. So who is that left? What is it? You know, I've written about Zoom, Skype, Peloton. Those are all going to be doing well because this yeah. is, you know, at home kind of stuff Each in each area. Um, you know, obviously, whoever comes up with this vaccine is going to be doing well and, and all the pharma companies um, the people who make Purell are doing great, and they will then not do great once it clears, once the once the virus clears, and there is some mitigation, and then a vaccine yeah. eventually. But I think we'll see a lot more mitigation before that, like in terms of just treating it properly, as we did with every crisis. We figure out a way to treat it best and most efficiently. So what what's what what is give me from a 
from a crisis management standpoint, what is going to emerge okay right now and then what isn't? And then we're going to move on to another story, uh, although this is the only story, really. Well, in terms of the markets and companies, I think there's offense and defense. And that there's companies that are actually, their business is going to accelerate as a function of this crisis. You know, in addition to being in the midst of the largest at-home work ex- uh, experiment, which benefits Zoom and, and Teams and Slack, we're also in the midst of the largest workout from home experience. I can't see how Peloton doesn't benefit from this. But the bigger story will be that anyone, any business that is strong, I mean, this the bottom line is this virus is, is impacting and killing the weak and the vulnerable, and it's doing the exact same thing economically. So the retailers that survive this the Walmarts, the Walmarts of the world, the Restoration Hardwares of the world, the Urban Outfitters of the world, the Lululemons of the world, the ones that survive this will come out the other end, quite frankly, with just fewer competitors. And the market will come, um, I, I believe the market's going to come uh, ripping back. The other thing is, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about writing about it on, for, for, for my Friday post, but it's a delicate issue, is that we've talked a lot about economic history when you get to certain levels of income inequality, mm-hmm. that the self-correcting me- mechanisms are war, revolution, and famine, and technically a pandemic is a form of famine. And I think about, I think about this, Kara, and I haven't fully baked this, but if you think about the absolute center, the epicenter, the ground zero of income inequality, it's been the fact that Western nations have outsourced their manufacturing to China. And as a result, incredible uh, prosperity, but very little progress because we didn't protect the middle class workers who were left most vulnerable because the manufacturing was outsourced. And then we have these carriers come back to these Western nations with this incredible inequality and spread this virus. And while we talk a lot about how poor and the middle class are most vulnerable, what you're going to have economically here is a redistribution of income. Because the reality is the poor and the middle class didn't have a lot to lose. And I do think the economy is going to come back. Employment's going to be full. And who does this benefit when I'm sitting around the table at my office? My net worth is going to go down 30 to 50% if it hasn't already. And quite frankly, they're going to get to buy a, 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 an apartment in Brooklyn at 30 to 40% less. They're going to get to buy Amazon and Apple at a lot less. And you're going to see a redistribution or an equalization again. And what's also quite interesting, and again, I don't know if it's just heat or other factors, but the continents that haven't experienced the same level of income inequalitization, if you will, while they come from a lower base, but they haven't had the surge in inequality, so far haven't been as affected, Latin America and Africa. So I wonder if in a very strange Darwinian way, this is some form of recalibration around severe income inequality where we see a crisis that self-corrects. And while the spoils- Well, that's an spo- interesting way to do the it. Spoils, I think I would have rather just- Elected Bernie right. Sanders. Well, but, but okay. that's like, but that's the right. that's the key point here. What happens when you don't protect the middle class? The rich gain more power right. than the middle class. They overrun government. They cut taxes. They elect people who cut the the CDC pandemic budget by eighty percent, hoping wallpapering over the notion that government doesn't matter. And then we end up with something like yeah. this. I do think that the history and the yeah. forensics here are going to show. That in a very weird Darwinian way, this is what happens when a species ignores. That is a really interesting point. There's an excellent story in the New York Times on the front page today talking about how coronavirus and inequality feed off 100%. each other. The pandemic is widening. Social and economic divisions also make virus deadlier, a self-reinforcing cycle that experts warn could have consequences for years to come. I think you're, I agree with you. I think it's a really interesting question. And uh, 
And we'll see where it goes. We will obviously be talking about this a lot more over the next couple of weeks. And uh, we appreciate you listening and not just talking about tech. But we will talk a little bit about tech. In other news, Facebook board member Kenneth Chenault stepped down in a statement. He said, I am stepping down from the board because I have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to work more closely with my friend Warren Buffett, the Berkshire Hathaway board, and the management team. I also believe good corporate government entails uh, limiting the number of board commitments for any director. Um, yeah, you know, there was all these stories about him being very unhappy with Mark Zuckerberg and the way the company was going and how he had no impact on it, which there's been several changes of the board the last couple of years. Very good board members have left, uh, uh, ones that were firmer and more independent, like Chenault. Um, earlier in March, Facebook announced that former McKinsey executive Nancy uh, Kellifer and SD Lauder Company's chief financial officer, Tracy Travis, would come on the board. And last month, Drew Houston uh, Houston, the CEO of Dropbox and a friend of Mark Zuckerberg's, joined the board. I, this is not good. This is not a good thing that he has left the board. He just feels like he is useless. And just the way Reed Hastings left, um, um, uh, Erskine Bowles, uh, uh, Susan Desmond Hellman, all the really independent people are gone, it feels like. The organization deciding the communications and tone of communications that the population of the Southern Hemisphere plus India receive has had has decided, has brought on their chief legal counsel as the woman who convinced Congress to pass laws that um, enabled uh, enhanced interrogation techniques, better known as torture. And the people who can't survive there are people of integrity who can't, who have real concern about the Commonwealth, people like Ken Chenault. That's who's leaving. That's who's showing up and thriving at this organization. This is the most dangerous organization in the world. I know Ken. I don't know him well. Uh, but he reeks of integrity. He is a thoughtful, measured guy. For a guy like that to leave the board of Facebook mid-cycle or after whatever he's been on the board for a year, year and a half, says, I am Mm -hmm. so out of here. I am so uncomfortable being associated with this. I am not being listened to. I do not want my grandkids to know I was on this board. This is just more and more evidence that this organization has terrible corporate governance, that we have a sociopath who cannot be who cannot be uh, elected or has not been elected, that cannot be removed from office, that will be around for another 60 years. This is a dangerous organization. And every piece of data around individuals who you would think, oh, good, this is the kind of person we would want on this board. We would want a Susan Desmond Hellman on this board. We would want an Erskine Balls. We would want a Reed Hastings. We would want a Ken Chenault. Any person you think, oh, okay, they're smart, but they're a little bit unusual and perhaps even dangerous, a Peter Thiel or... Or maybe they don't have an objective viewpoint of their buddy, oh, the CEO of Dropbox who goes on. We are now entirely, we have a governance around the most powerful organization in the world of people you would not want on this board. And anyone you would want on this board goes on and bounces out. It is, it, this is frightening. Yeah, they're not going to pick. Yeah, it is. It's interesting because Zuckerberg gave an interview to uh, Ben Smith, the new media reporter. Suddenly he's chatty with him. He didn't call me, just so you know. Um, And it was interesting because he said the difference between good. I wasn't thrilled with this column, honestly. I thought it was a bit of giving Zuckerberg a lot of bat packs for making sure that that information on the site was not horrible. Um, and so the the headline of the piece, which when Facebook is more trustworthy than the president, of course, that's a low bar. Um, so it's not like you just you just don't have to lie egregiously every minute of the day to 
win that award. Um, and then he said, the question which I put to Mark Zuckerberg, chief executive of Facebook, in an interview is why it took the global health crisis for them to do so, which is um, which is clean up their platforms. Mr. Zuckerberg said the difference between the good and bad information is clear in medical crisis than in the world of, say, politics. When you're dealing with a pandemic, a lot of stuff we're seeing just crushed the threshold. So it's easier to set policies that are a little more black and white, take a much harder line. I think this is so much bullshit. I can't even I don't even know what to say. Um, I just like we can do this. This is they can do it any time they want, any day of the mm-hmm. week, and they choose not to. And so this idea is like, yeah, we'll keep away the shitty information about coronavirus from you, or, or clean up. You know, even at Amazon, they're going to get rid of the guy who bought. You know, they're going to get rid of price gougers. Well, thanks a lot. You should have done that in the first place. Um, but just taking a bow right here, just I don't like that. Well, there's. There, I mean, you were talking about we were talking about uh, tech and business. First off, you had referenced Twitter, and I think that Corona will be to Twitter what the first Iraq War was to CNN. I think that's a defining moment for Twitter and people. I think you're going to see yeah. metrics that are absolutely off the charts. Full disclosure: I'm now a shareholder in Twitter. The other thing is big. Big tech is going to roar out of this stronger than ever because think about sure. you think about the media landscape. It used to be a fairly robust landscape, and Nassim Taleb's definition of robust is that there's a lot of players, and then if anyone goes out of business, you're fine. It, the, the fast food industry is a robust industry, and in that if McDonald's goes out of business, we're all going to be able to get burgers somewhere else. Whereas the financial services industry. If J.P. Morgan goes under, it could take the global economy down, then you'd argue the financial services is not robust. The services industry has been typically, and the media industry, typically fairly robust. The local station in Palm Beach is cleaning up because Bloomberg was doing ads there. There's, there are a decent number of small niche agencies, data agencies. You're going to see a ton of these little services companies and media agencies and little TV stations go out of business from this because people are just turning off the taps. And then when the economy comes back and everyone knows they need to buy AdWords and keywords and advertise and hire services, there's going to be Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. I mean, can you imagine what Amazon's going to come out of this with when more people decide how important home delivery Delivery. is? And uh, when you think about Apple in terms of communication, how important that is, these companies are, it's a buying opportunity, quite frankly. Yeah, okay, I'm not going to do that because I really didn't like... um, uh, like that. And then this is the last part of this thing. When I talked to Mr. Zuckerberg and other social media executives last week, I kept returning to the same point. Will the flow of responsible information last beyond the crisis? Could it extend into our upcoming presidential campaign? I hope so. D- uh, Twitter's Mr. Dorsey wrote up to all of us, which is a decent yeah. response. Mr. Zuckerberg less sanguine. Right now, Facebook is tackling misinformation as imminent risk of danger, telling people if they have certain symptoms, don't bother getting treated. Things like you can cure this by drinking bleach. I mean, that's a different class. It it's just it's a positive sign, despite how polarized people are worried about society, as people can pull together and try to get things done and support each other and recognize people are heroes on the front lines. Given the pandemic is likely going along for a while, he said it's hard to predict exactly how it plays out beyond that. And that's really not my job anyway. Ah, ah, right. <laughs> I literally I just like because you do a good job here. You don't get backpacks. I'm sorry. You don't get backpacks. Yeah. I know people think I'm relentlessly negative to Facebook, but honestly, this is the lowest bar to get this crap off people that threatens people's life. And by the way, it extends all the way into politics. It extends into every single life. It shouldn't be just in difficult times that they can behave. I just sorry. Well, and the and the PR machine is going strong. There's been there's been there's been uh, food bank announcements and they're just very and, and I think Mark is doing something and they're just very quick to sort of put their name on stuff and it's just you know, just keep it to yourself for the time being. Your philanthropy yeah. and your yeah, good, you know, in your in your efforts. I think they're important. I don't think anyone should be criticized for them. 
But just don't. Yeah. Just, just thanks for the masks, Jack Ma. Yeah, just, just keep your just keep it to yourself right now. I would say this is a time when you want to do it. And unfortunately, it comes from the top where they want to constantly assign credit before it's even due. Uh, you know, I think there's a in a situation like this, it's just this isn't a time they should be thinking about, I don't know, manicuring their image, uh, if you will. And I, I, you feel sorry. I mean, do. to a certain extent, some of them are doing their best and trying to figure out. I, I remember looking watching the the speech, I don't know where it was, the Rose Garden, and I remember seeing, oh my God, I've woken up in a better world. And Doug Doug McMillan was speaking at the podium in front of in front of <laughs> Trump. And I'm like, Trump has said, look, I'm overwhelmed. Doug McMillan's our new president. And I thought Yeah, I know. He's a great guy. Actually a terrific guy. Very talk about someone who doesn't brag. I mean he was there obviously all those CEOs had to show up and I yeah. get that. And they should have, but Doug Millen is really quite a uh, terrific leader, I think, and always seems to always do the right thing. All right, Scott, time for a quick break. We'll be right back with a special friend of Pivot and wins, only wins. Support for the show comes from Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like online music and videos, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, and more. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes, buy all the stocks in a theme as is, or customize to better fit your investing goals, all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, Scott, we're back, and I want to introduce you to a very close friend of Pivot, my brother, Dr. Jeffrey Swisher. He is a doctor in San Francisco and currently getting prepared for the weeks to come in hospitals there. First, uh, before we get to some questions uh, about U.S. Primaris, I want to play an extra friend of Pivot. It comes from our producer, Rebecca's friend, an expat living in Milan, where the country is now under complete mandatory quarantine. Projections show that the spread of COVID-19 in the U.S. is following a similar trajectory as Italy, and we are thought to be about 10 days behind Italy in terms of the virus spread. My name is Leah. I live in Milan, Italy. We are now on day seven of the full quarantine. We are allowed to have one person go out per day to go pick up only essential supplies. So we are legally obliged when we go out to keep a distance of one meter between ourselves and whoever we're around. Um, It's actually marked on the ground um, by a piece of tape. So all stores, all bars, all restaurants, theaters, cinemas, gyms, parks, everything is closed. This disease is a lot more serious than I think anyone ever thought that it was going to be. There are so many young people here, really, really young people, who are in hospital in really serious condition. And we are getting to the point where doctors are having to choose. um, Actually, it's already in effect now. Doctors are having to choose who they're able to intubate and who they have to let go. Okay, Jeff, welcome to Pivot. Well, sorry to put that 
bummer on yeah, that, you. Yeah, I was going to say that's, uh, that's, Sorry. that's certainly a little splash of cold water. Yeah. Uh, well, the, I want so I want you to start talking. Scott and I have a lot of mm-hmm. questions for you. I'll sure. start. Um, so talk about sort of the landscape right now in San Francisco. San Francisco and Seattle have been mm-hmm. sort of the first areas of seeing a lot of activity with coronavirus. Obviously, it's spread across the country into 38 states at this point, I think. So why don't you give yeah. us sort of a, a general landscape there in okay. a hospital scene? Sure. Sounds good. I mean, well, first of all, I just want to just a disclaimer. I am not a virologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. I am literally a ground level uh, anesthesiologist. Uh, and I'm a chairman of a very large um, um, anesthesiology department here in San Francisco. So we are literally the frontline troops that will be seeing these patients uh, as they come into the hospital. Um, again, most anesthesiologists work in the operating room, but many of us work in intensive care units as well. And my suspicion is that we're going to be requisitioned, uh, not my suspicion, my belief, I, I, I know we will be requisitioned to uh, probably repurpose ourselves to function more as intensive care unit doctors. So what's happening in San Francisco, I, I kind of liken this to, uh, do you remember that video of Fukushima when uh, the uh, tsunami happened and the very first couple seconds of the video shows the water slightly receding and then slowly coming in. And then you kind of go, wow, that's interesting. And then you kind of go, whoa. And after about three minutes, you go, holy shit. Because, you know, buildings and everything is getting Mm -hmm. swept away and and cars and boats and everything. I think we're at the point where the water is just starting to come in here in San Francisco. Uh, And it's getting, you know, it's very scary. My partners are all very concerned about what's going to be coming in the next one to two weeks. So what do you think that is? What is the, what is the, what is the, you have to have projections, right? You guys are getting ready. You're creating tents outside of hospitals. Is that correct? Right, right. My understanding is that UCSF is, uh, uh, has some tents outside. We don't have tents, but we've certainly restricted uh, access to our hospital tremendously to the public. Uh, even, you know, let's say today is the last day that we're doing quote unquote elective surgeries. Uh, starting tomorrow, we're only doing emergency surgeries. Um, and uh, it's an amazing amount of surgeries that we're just not doing uh, starting uh, tomorrow. Um, let's uh, Today, for instance, I'm going to be doing some uh, total knee replacement surgeries. That's it. You know, you're not going to be able to get a total knee replacement in this city probably for the next month, I'm guessing, at least. Um, but uh, so, yeah, we're preparing uh, and we're obviously preparing our intensive care units for what we expect is going to be a large influx of patients. And what does that look like? What is the what is the what is that generally? Do you know, you have no numbers though, right? You have no idea except for what's happened in Italy or in China or anywhere else. Correct. Um, I think um, you know I've been looking very carefully at the the numbers in Italy. Uh, just this weekend alone, there was on I think on Sunday an additional three hundred and eighty six cases. I mean, it was a real of of mortality of death. Uh, there was a big spike, and I anticipate that spike. Uh, that number to double pretty much every two days. Um, and so I, I, we're tracking the, or I'm tracking the numbers in Italy, as are a lot of people in medicine, and trying to project. And actually, we're slightly ahead of the curve here in terms of Italy. So, you know, if you project forward about, uh, you know, 10 to, I like that your, your uh, person you had recorded, uh, anywhere from 10 to two weeks, I, that's where we're going to be in a couple of weeks but more because we have more people in this country. Dr. Swish, I have a, a question. First off, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, uh, my, my pleasure, Scott. So if you think of total capacity of beds as being 100, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, where are we now, and where where do you think the infrastructure is going to be in the San Francisco area in a week, two weeks? What can it pulse up to? Can we increase capacity by ten percent, fifty percent, and where are we now as a percentage of capacity? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, the thing about intensive care units. Um, Listen, we're full. I mean, before this whole thing started, we, we have to shuffle beds. Uh, we we even use sometimes the post-anesthesia care unit uh, after surgery to house patients going into intensive care units because of the fact that we don't, you know, just have a bunch of ICU beds lying around. There are full. Every, people are still coming in with strokes. They're coming in with heart attacks. Uh, we, I do a lot of uh, liver transplant anesthesia, kidney transplant. That doesn't stop. So we have a full house already. Uh, the question is, is how do we repurpose beds in the hospital or how do we repurpose uh, ICU beds? So we have operating rooms, for instance, and, you know, like my wife didn't know this, for instance, which is kind of amazing since she's been married to me for 30 years. But uh, the, um, the, uh, the anesthesia machine in an operating room is also a ventilator. Uh, so we can use uh, operating rooms as intensive care units to use them as ventilator uh, units. Um, hmm. that's, that's the real issue is the number of ventilators that we have th- to take care of people with uh, SARS, uh, which is you know a, a good a percentage of people with coronavirus get SARS. And, and what, what does that take? Explain very quickly what that, you have to put them on the ventilators and then you have to mm-hmm. pick who gets to go on these ventilators, correct? Yeah, that's that's the the whole concept of triage. I mean, triage you know came from the word you know three, and that you know one person lives, one person you treat, one person dies, um, and uh, th- that is a very tough decision. I mean, in Italy, I've heard situations where they're deciding whether or not a forty-five-year-old with two kids is worth more than a forty-five-year-old with three kids uh, on the ventilator, and some doctor has to make that decision. Uh, that is a terrible decision to have to make, and. I, you know, I don't want to be an alarmist, but the fact of the matter is we are going to be making decisions like that uh, about who should be put on a ventilator and who shouldn't. And, and people the, must be on these ventilators, correct, once they get... Uh, if, if you get SARS, yeah. I mean, the, the, the coronavirus um, causes, uh, in severe cases, SARS stands for ser- uh, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, and that is an interstitial pneumonitis in which the lungs basically become inflamed and stiff and... Uh, uh, and you're unable to oxygenate uh, uh, adequately uh, at, at normal pressure. So you have to intubate them, which is putting a breathing tube down their trachea, um, and then uh, positive pressure ventilation with what's known as PEEP, which is positive end expiratory pressure of you know 15 or 20 millimeters of, uh, of mercury uh, in order just to get the blood to oxygenate for them to be able to live. Um, and there's all kinds of mechanisms by which you ventilate them. You sometimes have to turn them over onto their stomach into a prone position, uh, then onto their back. It's, it's a very labor-intensive thing. And remember, all these healthcare workers that are taking care of these patients are constantly being exposed. When you intubate someone, um, yeah. somebody asked me on Twitter, some troll said, you know, why does an anesthesiologist care about this kind of thing? And I'm like, uh, duh. Uh, we have, you know, we, we intubate people, so we right. are literally a foot from the face putting a breathing tube down their throat in, you know, most of our operations. So are people worried? Go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. Well, I was, uh, I was going to ask what, I mean, uh, if you think of this as a sort of a, a a war footing and what I've been seeing a lot is the contrast between the federal government's response in terms of its perceived competence or actual competence and what they communicate and then how state and local officials are 
dealing with it. I'm curious as how often are you guys meeting as a group and what is the role the federal government is playing in this? Are they sending additional supplies? Is someone in your organization been organized to communicate with the federal government to request additional supplies? Or is the attitude pretty much we're on our own here? What's the relationship between people on the ground, such as yourself, and the federal government? Well, so our hospital certainly has a command structure. Um, you know, we were very fortunate that the uh, chief executive officer of uh, CPMC, California Pacific Medical Center, is a, is a a physician named Warren Browner, who is an epidemiologist himself, uh, uh, for, originally from UCSF. And he is, uh, along with the other hospital uh, administration, is obviously communicating with both state, local, and federal officials about supplies. Uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head in terms of what the big problem is, is supplies. I mean, we need to use things called PPEs, which are personal protective equipment, in order to prevent ourselves from getting this. That is in incredible shortage right now because of the fact that, uh, first off, there wasn't that much to start with for this kind of thing. We had it for Ebola. Um, but, uh, you know, there's very complex procedures for putting this stuff on, taking it off. Uh, and as I tweeted like a, a week or 10 days ago about a mask shortage, we have literally masks that are leaving the hospital uh, by hook or by crook. People are taking them. And so now we have a shortage of just regular masks and N95 masks. And, and remember, a lot of this stuff came from China, which was completely is now shut off. So, you know, we are looking to the federal government to help resupply us with this critical equipment. And that has, you know, and I'm not even going to get into the whole testing thing. I mean, obviously, we don't know the denominator because we haven't tested enough people. Um, is that critical? Do we people some were talking about that it's already here and it's, you should assume everybody has it or, or is going to get it? Well, um, that's true. That's true. I mean, the, the, you know, the one of the biggest concerns that I think I have and members of my group have is the whole concept of asymptomatic transmission. Um, and that kind of goes into some of the issue about, um, you know, the studies from Korea showing that the highest group of people who are asymptomatically transmitting is youths from the age 20 to 29 who are all getting together in Fort Lauderdale and partying it up like there's no tomorrow uh, and, you know, slobbering over each other and, you know, sweatily dancing on the dance floor. And they're all like, you know, getting uh, coronavirus and they are bringing that to, you know, their parents, their grandparents, et cetera. Um, it's, it reminds me of that scene from that movie Independence Day where they're all dancing on the roof of the skyscraper and the aliens, <laughs> yeah. remember that scene? Yeah. And the aliens just kind of go, oh, bye-bye, Felicia, and yeah. they just blast everybody away. So, well, that, so all yeah. right, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, sorry. that's okay. <laughs> this is my brother, Scott. Um, so, so, but can, is there still time to flatten the curve? You can have a little joke in, in the middle of a pandemic. It's fine. Yeah. Um, is there to. time to flatten that curve? What, what should people do? The cities in New York City, where I am, is now shutting down all restaurants. Um, offices have been already closed a lot of places. Um, they're going to, you know, every big city is closing down everything. And I just was watching Mural Bowser from D.C., where I'm headed to. Um, getting into a fight with the Hill Restaurant Group, who refuses to shut down. But what can yeah. what what can people do? And 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 we got to go get out soon. But what can we do? Yeah. One to mitigate yeah. uh, the overwhelming the healthcare system. Two to protect healthcare workers um, mm. in the weeks to come. And just yourselves, what is the critical thing to do? Because as as many people do know, not everyone's going to need a ventilator. Not everyone's. They're just going to get a very bad ver uh, version of this. And and it, is just to get away from people? What is the three or four things people have to do? 
Okay, so just consider the fact that it's kind of like, you know, zombies, you know. If one zombie bites another zombie and then you create tons of zombies, stay away from each other. Social distancing really does work, mm-hmm. um, you know, so to avoid the zombie apocalypse. I mean, we've got well, That's a, what you got from Stanford Med School, but go ahead. Yes. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's a very good analogy, by the way. Okay, thank um, you, Jeff. But uh, the... Um, the thing is, so so yeah, definitely do not, it's not business as usual. People do really need to take this seriously and consider the fact that if you're asymptomatic and transmitting it to other people, every person that you contact with then con- you know gives it to someone else. Uh, and you're right, the numbers are such that it's going to be a huge number that get it and eventually we will all develop herd immunity. But in the meanwhile, who knows what the percentage of mortality is to this thing? Is it 0.9%? Is it 1%? Is it 5%? Italy is tracking right now at about 7% from the data that just came out this weekend. And uh, that, that, you know, we just don't know the number because we don't know the denominator. Um, and I think that that's the most important thing. And especially, you know, a message to kids out there, you know, the, the, the youth of, who are all home from college partying, guys, stay away from each other. Just try to, sit, you know, Netflix and chill, you know, just, uh, just or maybe just Netflix. Um, uh, just try to, you know, make sure that you do not give it to people that you love, because that's what this is going to come down to. Uh, I think uh, Gavin Newsom gave a great talk the other day, and you know, Carrie, you know, you and I both know uh, Gavin. Um, he really governor I think, of California. For governor of California. He really uh, demonstrated what I would call leadership skills in how he uh, talked about this and and the the tone that he he put out. I'm going to contrast to uh, Devin Nunes. I don't want to get sued, Devin, so don't sue me. Uh, you know, but that was a moronic thing to have to come out and say, you know, that, oh, we should all go out and go to bars and restaurants. I, I feel for all these small business owners and restaurant owners, but at the same time, you know, we need to take care of our health first. Or we're not going to eat. Scott, any other questions for Dr. Swisher? No, other, other than that, just we're thinking about you. And I, I, I think the, the leadership style and the communication style you represent here, where you're very sober and you provide data. But you're obviously on it, and to hear that the competent, intelligent people are front lines makes people feel feel better. I, I think you demonstrate exactly the types of communication style and leadership style we should have during crisis, and I wish that a lot of people in D.C. took notes. Jeff, what is giving you hope right now? Give us, Leave us with one bit of hope. Okay, I'll give you a bit of hope. The, the fact is that, and I want to give a shout out to every single person that is here. I'm in the hospital here today. We're just about to start our, our work day. Every single nurse, every single intensive care unit doctor, every single ER doctor, frontline nurse, housekeeping, you know, everybody, you know, we have a purpose here. And one of the joys of being a doctor and being in medicine is the fact that, you know, we are here for other people. And I I just want to let everybody know that the nurses, the the, everybody, the respiratory therapists, uh, the techs who come in the operating room, these people are all putting themselves in, in harm's way, but they're doing it because they know it's the right thing to do and that we love to do what we do. So I think my, my hope is that we have a lot of people like that, not just in the healthcare system, but in other places as well. And, uh, you know, we'll get through this. It's just, it's going to be a, a bumpy ride for probably the next month or so. Uh, I, you know, I'm hoping less and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll get through this uh, as best we can. Jeff, you're the best brother and you're the best doctor. Thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Jeff Swisher. 
my All right. Hey, if, if you, if Thanks, you guys Dr. have anybody, Swisher. any questions that you want to ask me, I'm on Twitter at, um, at Jeffrey Swisher. And Kara can post a, a link to me to, yep. if people want to ask questions. 100%. He loves Twitter. He loves the Twitter. All right, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Get to work now and be careful. Right. Please be careful, <laughs> sir. All right. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Take care, everybody. Bye. Okay, Scott, that was really depressing and also good at the same time listening to my bro. Isn't he a good bro? Yeah, you're an, uh, just uh, an insufferable group of overachievers. What happened at the fam? <laughs> I, is the third guy, is the other brother an lucky. astronaut? I, or wait, I hope he's a meth addict. Uh, I haven't, be, I haven't met him yet. Trumper, he's, a good, he's a good guy. He's a lawyer. He's a little conservative for Jeffrey. Oh, he's a lawyer. He's sometimes. only got one graduate degree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's oh, a lawyer. He took a, my, of course, my mom's sitting down in Florida right now, you know, spewing fog news bullshit but she's trying her hardest yeah. um i love my mom well, lucky did something right my gosh the three of you yeah she did she did and my dad who died a long time ago certainly did um had a big part in it um anyway um let's talk only wins because uh, people need wins uh we want to as they say look out for the helpers and so i would like some wins from you i have one or well, two you go first then you go, go ahead first, then. Well, I got to say, I liked the episode of Grumpy Old Men last night on the Democratic debate. I thought it was a substantive. They got a little bit grumpy yeah. at the end, like a little bit screaming yeah. at each other. But I thought it was a substantive debate among smart people. I thought uh, Sleepy Joe was quite awake and he looked he got better and better throughout the night. Um, and and I think the win was he talked about having a woman uh, vice president. Mm -hmm. He's, he's going to have one and not anybody else. So all the dudes can step down and that he was going to uh, appoint an African-American person to the uh, Supreme Court if he became president. I like that. I thought it was forward. I thought he looked good. I thought Bernie did a great job, yeah, too. I didn't agree. Good. I don't agree with everything Bernie says. I thought they were great. I thought it was a great sub. It was such a contrast in leadership style to, you know, Trump just free associating things that. I don't know, even know what he's saying sometimes. Like, we have it under control. The virus, it's big. You know, all this idiotic talk. Um, so I like that. That was a win, and I felt good. And uh, hopefully he Biden will be the president. That will be great. I will be very happy about that. Um, secondly, um, I think the Germans doing uh, nine, nine and nine Luftballons, yeah. um, it just makes you feel better. You laugh a little more. Um, there's been a lot of meanness back and forth, but a lot of it's super funny and super enjoyable and a way to like feel like you that everybody's sort of going trading really good information. When that works, it works great. And so I have to uh, I'm going to be writing my column about that this week in The Times, because when it works well, it works well. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm very pleased with that. And I, I know there's in, this information on there and they should be doing everything to get off of it. But in general, I'm seeing a lot of great information. Yeah, I agree. The, the thing no, that I, I noticed about the debate last night, and I was trying to think, why is this more substantive and civil? And a lot of it is the cadence and the format of it. And that is when you think about having 12 debate, 12 people on the debate stage and they're not known that well. They immediately go, I have to be outrageous. I have to be short. I can't be substantive. I have to be aggressive. Yeah. I have to pick a fight because I have to get my message heard. And if you were to take that times a billion, that describes social media because social media says, all right, mm -hmm. the algorithms go, how do you get noticed? How do we create more clicks? Well, we find conflict and we find fast thinking and quick quick, angry pieces of information. And so if you think about the worst debate where you think, wow, I just really feel bad about our country after listening to that kind of hostile food fight, that is what social media is times a billion. Whereas when you put two people on stage, you moderate it well, they're decent people, you have a thoughtful conversation, you just learn a lot. And it just struck me that we're in the midst of the, the worst ongoing debate ever. Anyways, my win, 
Uh, I actually think the media, I, I think about when I watch, I've been watching media nonstop and I think, well, no one's really talking about, we're talking a lot about the frontline healthcare workers, such as your brother that are taking risks. Um, and, you know, they grow up that way though. They're the, they're the people, and I don't mean to in any way diminish their contribution, but they're the kind of people that grow up just more caring and empathetic about other people. It's just, they're sort of wired that way, like do no harm. They're the people when you're nine years old are taking your heartbeat and they're, they're just sort of built that way. And what your brother said didn't, didn't yeah. surprise me that they just sort of just immediately hear about this, put on their scrubs and head, head to their, head to yep. their place of work. Yeah, That's what they do. It is. It's amazing. You know, my brother had an opportunity to work at Microsoft in the very early days. All his friends at Stan, he did go to Stanford undergrad also. Um, and he had an opportunity to go into tech right when he should have. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would have been like very financially lucrative. And he became a doctor like my dad was. And I, I you know, I think a little bit of regrets not owning an island yeah. right now to escape yeah. to. But uh, but he definitely they definitely have that kind of they love doing what they do. And, and it's really it's a public well, it's real work. Right. I mean, it's. It's yeah. it, it's meaningful work. But what I was going to say is I actually think the media, I was thinking about when going into work every day into a crowded studio, you are taking some risks. And I've been watching yeah. a lot of CNN and I think they I think they're doing a fantastic job. Uh, they are. I watched Fareed Zakhar yesterday and I just thought he had so many. That guy is yeah. such a blue flame thinker that Trump has copied the wrong careers. He's he's going after the incompetence, propaganda uh, and and fear mongering of North Korea, and he forgot to do the the intelligence and the execution of South Korea. I just think these guys are so, yeah, yeah so smart. smart, so good. Clearly focused. I'm not sure I could be that focused. These guys have families too. They every yeah. time they go to, uh, every time these men and women go to work, they've got to be thinking about the risks they're taking, and are they taking it home to 100%. their families? Meanwhile, most right. of us have decided people people with any resources have for the most part, are self-quarantining, or that's what I would I would recommend yeah. that people do. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, you know, even Fox News is sort of, they're, 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 they're reaping the shit that they rain down on people most of the time in terms of that Trish Reagan was thrown off the air, I guess, and uh, Hannity's getting drubbed. Um, is that right? I haven't been know. reading about that. I haven't, yeah. I haven't read yeah, and you know, oddly enough, Tucker Carlson is the one who's actually. Doing I think Tar uh, I think Tucker's done a great job. I but think Tucker's done a great job doing the right yeah. thing and giving good information. So hopefully that. Oh, my other win! My other win! If not, if not, Rupert Murdoch really is Satan. Uh, <laughs> if he there's there's the there's the Murdoch Satan on Earth Swisher that I know. That's right. Uncle That's Satan. right. Uncle Satan. That is right. Uh, the other win is there's a wonderful um, uh, HBO. I, if people I know, I imagine people have a lot of time to watch. I'm I, I'm very good at TV. I am very good at TV, Kara. It's one of my core competence. Yeah. Anyways, a win is if you have some time at home and you're uh, spending more time on watching streaming video platforms, The Outsiders is fantastic. Or The Outsider, excuse me. It's a horror film. It's yeah. based on a Stephen King novel who I think is going to I think there's some artists that are, I don't want to say underappreciated because they're unbelievable, but in 100 years. Agreed. I think he's a huge in, talent. In 100 huge years, talent. we're going to look back on them and think, you know, we're going to think, okay, I, I think Prince and, and, you know, Elvis or whoever you want to think, or even Barbara Streisand, I think she has the best voice of the 20th century. I'm aging myself. But uh, uh, Stephen King, I, I, his ability to mm -hmm. combine relationships with horror is unmatched. Anyways, The Outsider. Yeah. It, it's a guilty All right. pleasure. Okay, that's a good thing. I'm going to do a terrible yeah. thing, and I'm going to, even though we had wins here, I just want you to know, I want you to react to it very quickly before we end. Dow plunges 2,250 uh, right. points, 9.7% as more of the U.S. economy shuts down because of coronavirus. Trading temporarily halted. 
Scott, circuits, circuits are breaking. And by the way, people have asking, why don't they just close the markets? You need to let the markets do their thing. Otherwise, the panic builds up and yep. when they open it, just they may never reopen again. This despite the Fed dropping rates. to And, and also, I just just a point of light, a point of perspective, even with this drop and I can't pull up the chart, the markets have plunged mm-hmm. to where they were last year. It's not we're yeah. not. This isn't 19. This is so far from 1920, Today, Scott. Yeah, well. <laughs> like, how about this? Don't look at the markets, people, if you don't have yeah, to. that's right. Don't look at the markets if you don't need the that's money. That's right. And hopefully we will get a more competent federal government that will uh, will be able to deal with this when and clean it up when it's over. Uh, my hope is a new administration has our many hopes, but, you know. Whatever it is, it really does, as Warren Buffett said, speaking of Kenneth Janault's greatest friend, when the tide goes out, you see what people really were wearing. Yeah, and I don't know. Are people asking, I'm getting a bunch of emails saying, what are you doing in the markets? And I said, well, this is what I think you could do. And this is to be aggressive, super aggressive, and kind of crazy if you wanted to take real risk. But the answer is, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. I'm doing absolutely nothing. The last thing yeah. I want to do is add yeah. the stress of trading into this right now. I'm doing nothing. Yeah, my stock person says that this might be a time to buy. Yeah, and I was like, I, you know I what? I just don't want to think about it, boss. <laughs> just don't want to think about it. Can't yeah. do it. I said, can't do it. Don't yeah. do it. I'll just die if you spend all my money. Anyway, um, we will be back on Thursday with more. Uh, there's lots to talk about. Remember, those of uh, you who want to see us will be cross-posting this episode on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash pivot. We will be making pivot episodes as long as you promise to stay inside and self-distance. We really are in this together. Right, hundred percent jungle cat. Who are you? Who are you not distancing with? I know your your little girl. Oh, my beautiful uh, partner Amanda. Yeah. Uh, my son, my son Louis, is with That's me nice. right now, which has been a delight. He cooked dinner last night, and obviously, uh, my lovely new child uh, Clara. And we're having a great time. Clara ate rice for the first time last night. Actually, you know what? We're spending a lot more time not online, yeah. and when spending a lot more time together, it's but that has been the pleasure of this. Um, and, uh, and so that's been nice. Who are you doing that? Who, what is your group of, uh, I'm with my, I'm with my family and it's wonderful. We did a mini Olympics yesterday. We're playing, playing a lot of soccer, Mm -hmm. watching a lot of TV and it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. And, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely puts things into perspective, but I'm glad, I'm glad you're safe and with loved ones. And, and I hope that that's true of everyone else on the phone or excuse me, on the phone. On the yeah. Phone. And we're going to try to be optimistic. We're going to collect moments of optimism. A great idea from Rebecca to share. Oh, on the that's show. so hard for me. Um, what is okay. making you hopeful and happy right now? Please write us on Twitter and we'll uh, send us a voice memo of a happy anecdote, a song, a poem, your family home hobbies, your pets advice for anyone feeling anxious Something to spread the love. We are very huggy here at Pivot. Not for long. When this is over, we'll go back to our nastiness. Um, But uh, email us at pivot at voxmedia.com to be featured on the show. Scott, would you mind reading us out? Today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Our executive producer is Erica Anderson. Special thanks to Drew Burrows and Rebecca Castro. We are thinking about you as I know you are thinking about us and the country and the world. We'll be back later this week with a breakdown of all things tech and business. Have a great rest of the week, Kara. Stay safe. Thank you. And also thanks again to our staff who is continuing to produce this, everybody, uh, during this time. I know everybody's nervous, but we really appreciate it.